Yeah, where's the Lorax when you need him? It's been dominating our thoughts. <laughs> I don't know why you felt like you had to explain. That's what makes it so bizarre. Welcome to Up Yours Downstairs, the podcast that has more lawyers than lovers. I'm Kelly Anakin. And I'm Tom Schneider. We are properly married. I may be landed gentry and you may be some tart from the stage, but we do have one thing in common. This podcast? That's basically it. It is kind of like you weren't landed gentry when we met, but I was some tart from the stage. That's true. Granted, you also were on the stage. Right. Which undermines my, uh, you know. Sense of superiority. Right. And you lived in, you know, you were renting at the time. It wasn't like you owned, (laughs) you didn't own property, but you did have a car. (laughs) I did have a car and like a full-time job. That's cool. By the standards of Oh, wait, our... I have that now. You do? Wow, that's weird. Yeah. It's well... Pretty odd. This has been a strange glimpse into <laughs> our upper mobility aspirations. We bought a car this week. We did buy a car this week. <laughs> it's a really cool car, you guys. Yeah. Uh, we kind of can't get over it. It's been dominating our thoughts. <laughs> uh, pretty much. Yeah. It's a miracle we're even doing this podcast. <laughs> Welcome back, cousins. We are here to shed some light on the goings-on of Mr. Selfridge, Series 2, Episode 7. Yes. Uh, many games afoot. Indeed. This episode. But before we dive in, it's time to announce our Cousin of the Week. Ooh. Our Cousin of the Week this week is Cousin Leonard, who writes, I'm continuing on through Season 2 of Mr. Selfridge and your scintillating commentaries. This may have already been addressed since I am behind, but... With regard to the fourth episode, you asked about the tissue-like currency and invited informations from us cousins. It seems you may have missed my email of March 15th where I mentioned the currency and provided a link. In the event that that is the case, I shall here reproduce the relevant paragraph. You may remember one of the equerries of King Edward pulling out some paper currency in the background, which reminded me of a question you had in your earlier commentary when Mr. Selfridge paid off the abusive drunk with paper money. Those were most likely five pound notes, which were physically much larger than our paper bills today and were printed on a thin, crackly paper. If you go back to season one of Downton, you will see Lord Grantham paying off Carson's old theater partner with the same bills. Here is a link to a page on the British Museum's website showing a five pound note we will share that link if we remember right <laughs> yours sincerely cousin leonard uh so cousin leonard first of all apologies uh right. but you know if the telegram was from march 15th it might as well have been you know yeah. uh april 17th 1912 <laughs> for as much as we go back that far but thank you for writing in again uh and reminding us that we did see Lord Grantham using these in a very specific instance. Yes. Uh, so for that, you are our cousin of the week. Mm-hmm. Congratulations, yes. cousin Leonard. If you would like to throw your hat in the ring for cousin of the week or otherwise just say, hey, <laughs> you can reach us on Twitter by Carrier Pigeon. We're at five, the number five, Maggie Smiths. We are up yours downstairs at gmail.com for a telegram or you can just hit us up on Facebook just search up yours downstairs exclamation point <laughs> and with no further ado uh let's see what is going on with monsieur leclerc uh, okay i wish the show was called monsieur leclerc and friends well i know you do but will you still feel that way by the end of this episode <sighs> I wonder. Spoiler alert. Yes. <laughs> a thousand times yes. He's only more interesting and attractive now. He needs saving. I can save him. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll get to that. <laughs> Kelly's not the only one that feels this way. But we start off with the far less attractive mustache, who is uh, walking along the streets complaining to Kitty about the censorship that he is undergoing saying that they won't let him publish the truth and they only let him blah, blah, blah. And Kitty interrupts him and says, whiskers. And he's like, what? And she says that every time he gets all head up, his whiskers start to bristle. And he kind of laughs and is also like, like, fine, but I'm talking about a real problem here, Kitty. But it's fine. I mean, it's not a... Question. Yes. Who is less attractive? Jeremy Piven or Mustache? I guess it's, it's. I feel like it's kind of a Gordian knot type question, right? I guess I'd say mustache. Although I feel like mustache looks better this year than he did last year. I but would I don't agree. Know if that 
I think I like mustache better. All right. Just on, in terms of sheer attractiveness. I mean, Piven's got the charisma, so maybe they're neck and neck. But right. like, yeah. I mean, you know, I never do feel like mustache is nailing it. <laughs> so anyway. Yeah. Just a question that literally occurred to me right now. Right. Inside Selfridges, uh, there is a big whispering montage, mm-hmm. uh, primarily in the office of Mr. Selfridge with all the heads of department. Kitty is whispering to Miss Martle. Fat Thomas is whispering to Agnes. The Keebler stands alone. <laughs> Crab fails to call the meeting to order, which is really unworthy of him. Right. And why can't, like, Mr. Grove doesn't even try to no, help I know. him. No, Mr. Grove is just standing next to him watching everybody ignore him. Yeah. He's like, oh, well, nothing I can do. At any rate, Fat Thomas finally whistles to get everybody's attention. And Mr. Crab and Mr. Grove are like, oh, thank God for your lower class pragmatism. <laughs> right. Crab trusts that they're all shocked and distressed because apparently in addition to failing to call the meeting to order, he failed to hear any of them discussing <laughs> what is going on. Uh, Mr. Grove says that Mr. Selfridge was called away on business and that in his absence, he will run things with Mr. Crab. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Agnes asks when Harry's going to come back. Grove says imminently, which is exactly what you say when you want to sound like you know, but really there's no way you could know. Right. And he does a decent job, but then undercuts himself by turning to Crab and being like, wouldn't you say, Mr. Crab? And Mr. Crab cannot handle this situation. Yeah. And uh, uh, does not. It's it's not good. But yeah. uh, Mr. Grove dismisses the meeting and everybody goes off to do their work. And continue whispering, one would think. Oh, it's going to be a very whisper-heavy day. <laughs> well, but the other thing, too, is... Well, no, I guess their customers don't know anything at this point. Right, right. So anyway, never mind. Yeah. Hold that thought, everyone. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Outside of Harry's office, Crab complains to the Plunkett. Cannot believe that Harry left without leaving an itinerary. Plunkett is also confused. No, in this scene, Crab is the first, I believe, of many in this episode to say it's very unlike him. Yes. Uh, God, we've really got an earful... For Big Bill Summertime. Yes. So much so <laughs> that I will not even sing his song. That's right. He no longer deserves No, it. you don't deserve a song anymore, Summertime. Yeah. And if you do, it's that fucking Red Hot Chili Peppers song called Emmett Remus. <laughs> it's an anagram of Summertime. <laughs> I, I wasn't <laughs> expecting that. And it's about London. <laughs> Great. No, that's that's very apropos. I hope that hurts Bill. <laughs> Sorry, I was out busy failing to be a good spy. Yeah, I mean, the Plunkett says that she is also mystified and suggests that she try calling his favorite hotels to see if he's had any of them. And Crab's like, yeah, great. Outside the once again very appropriately named Monsieur Leclerc Memorial Lair. <laughs> That's right. It felt odd when he was actually working I know. There. We felt bad. But now that he's <laughs> out of it again, it's like, whoo, ah, our clever name stands. <laughs> Fat Thomas and Agnes are watching police clear out all of... LeClaire's things. Yes. And Agnes can't believe that he was a spy. Fat Thomas says that stranger things have happened. Uh, and then surprisingly, mm-hmm. and uh, dare I say awesomely, yeah. tells Agnes to just get down to the police station and try to find out what's going on. And he'll cover for her if anybody asks. Uh, because, you know, he works in the palm court. So he's really got nothing to do. Uh, right. He will just stand in her office for the entire day saying that she just stepped out for a second. Be exactly. Right uh, but she heads out. And this is surprising from Fat Thomas, who is literally turned into, like, a spitting mad weasel every time. <laughs> yeah. Every time that uh, Monsieur Leclerc has been in the same frame as him, you know, it's just like, what? He's not, he's not doing anything. Yeah. But now that he's really not doing anything, I don't know. Maybe it's a front, but... It's still pretty cool. No, and it, well, I mean, it doesn't even feel like a front either. It's just, he's just like. Yeah, he's fronted before. Yeah. We've seen his frontage (laughs) road. Yeah. Uh, It's Selfridge House. The police are there, uh, toting various things around and clearing out various papers or whatever. Business papers? Well, one would think. Spy papers? That's what they're hoping. (gasps) Uh, New Gordon, quite upset. And says that, you know, Pa would never allow this and so forth. 
Uh, but Rose says, just, you know, like, be calm. Boy, boy, <laughs> crazy boy. Stay cool, boy. Yes. You're welcome, everyone. <laughs> uh, she says that Harry's lawyers are trying to find out what the deal is and what the police are doing, etc. And Also, the music in this sequence, <laughs> which is all of 15 seconds tops, is like these really high-pitched string instruments. It's like the score from Psycho. <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, you know, it's fu- like he did not kill anyone that we know of. <laughs> right. Like, nothing has happened. Maybe dial it down, eyeliner. I, you know, like right now, <laughs> right now, Harry is in like a sword fight duel on top of a moving train in Berlin. I would so much <laughs> rather see that. What kind of swords do they use in Germany? I think, you know, swords are pretty standard. I, I don't think they have their special German swords. No, like, you know, broadsword? You know, rapier and dagger? I took I stage think, combat, goddammit. I mean, I think at this point... It was, I know two swords. I think the only swords that would be still, you know, hanging around ceremonially would be like a, a cavalryman's saber, for Ooh, example. Saber. Yeah. All right. Is young Indiana Jones there? Yes, but ironically, he never quite crosses paths. <gasps> I really want to read this keeps, crossover fic. He keeps walking across through a doorway in the back of a scene that Harry is in. Oh! Dude, you know Mr. Selfridge would love to have the young Indiana Jones in his store. <laughs> I do. I do He's know like, that. Rose, <laughs> you'll never believe it. There's this American kid. He's done all kinds of adventures. <laughs> <laughs> we'll start selling bullwhips. Fedoras? Is that what he wore? <laughs> I think so. Like a, yeah, like a leather fedora. As far as I knew when I was uh, watching Young Indiana Jones, all male-brimmed hats were called fedoras. Did he have so, a bullwhip in Young Indiana Jones? I think so, because in the little origin story that they have at the beginning of Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade is his first like attempt to use a bullwhip. Ah, right. right. Uh, secondly... Just remembering uh, our Empire exhibition that will be coming up. Yes. Uh, I'll bet the adventures of young Indiana Jones could help us tick off quite a few locations throughout the Empire. I bet you are right. I'm writing that one down. Yes. Agnes is sitting in the police station with a delightful hat on. Yeah. No, it's very nice. Just because your ex-lover has been arrested upon suspicion of spying, ladies and gentlemen, it is no reason... To step off your hat game. Agreed. You may need to look your most respectable. And I I, I do think also, in my opinion, that Rose also later brings her own hat game. Uh, But we'll... We've seen that hat before. Well, yeah. So I... Anyway, we'll talk about that. I'm just a big fan of it. We'll, you know, we'll tip that hat when we get to it. Okay. Uh, Monsieur Leclerc is then shown in by the police. Right. And I was kind of bummed because I was just hoping he would have just regrown his entire hobo beard overnight. In that's, prison. that's a bit much even for eyeliner. <laughs> I know. Even would, as a symbol. I know. But it would have been hilarious. He says, hello, in greeting to Miss Towler. Uh, Agnes, Agnes is so great in this episode. Yeah. She's like, oh, for God's sake, Henri, call me by my name. <laughs> and uh, he is like awfully like, yeah, he's, he's, in, he's in surprisingly good spirits. Yeah, he's quite insouciant. Yeah, he's very <laughs> jaunty with her. Yes. He like, is it's like he thinks that he's going to get to like finger bang her when they're done talking. <laughs> right. Even though that's not on the table for or under the table. <laughs> yeah. For a variety of reasons. Any no, but he's reasons. like, you know, he's like a kid who just got released from detention. Yeah. And, you know, as Kitty Hawkins was whispering in the first scene, uh, the punishment for his, you know, accused crime is hanging. Yes. So maybe he wants to be a little bit less insouciant. Right. He says that it's good to see her, apologizes for looking terrible. They wouldn't even let me change my shirt. Also, they're going to hang me, but I'm more (laughs) upset about the shirt. I had one picked out. Agnes is like, listen, shut up. What the (laughs) hell is going on? Why do they think you're linked to Germany? And he says that he is, but not for spying purposes. Yeah. Agnes asks him to explain, and then he does the only thing so far that we've really been pissed off about, which is that he's been searching for Valerie, who dumped him and then moved to Berlin, which actually makes perfect sense. Yeah, no. Was Berlin dope right now? I was thinking of the Weimar Republic, but but like... Berlin has been pretty dope, uh, like, you know, Europeanly speaking. Yeah. Anyway, so she... Dumped him, moved to Berlin uh, with a man that wasn't him. Then Agnes says, 
maybe the most perceptive line in all of television history. <laughs> yes. Like entire miniseries franchises have just been shut down. Yeah. Because she just says, I don't understand. Why couldn't you accept them being together? Yeah. And oh we high fived. I think we chest bumped. Yeah. Like that's just, it's just, so, it's such a mature approach. Yeah. And unhesitatingly and not like accusatorily even no. just confused. Like, okay, she dumped you. What? Yeah. Remember get- when you dumped me and I was like totally fine. Right. And like, why didn't you just get over it? Like an adult. Yeah. You with know. a job and right. you know, prospects. Yeah. Anyway, uh, he says that, he did eventually, uh, which he then puts the lie to by right. saying that he came back to London because he heard that they had come back to London and hired a detective <laughs> to find her because he just needed to talk to her, right. which is stalker speak for getting a fight with her boyfriend. <laughs> like, what the fuck? Yeah. Listen, Agnes gets 10 million points in this scene. Henri gets minus... 50,000. Yeah. Like, this is unacceptable, this Henri. This is really not. This cool. is really bad. Yeah. Uh, don't do what Monsieur Leclerc does. Right. It's like, wow, I guess he should be in jail. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, not cool. But he says the police don't believe him that he's just a run of the mill stalker because somebody at the store accused him of being a spy. So then Agnes asks who would do such a thing. Uh, I'm not sure why she asked, but you right. know what? She had one really perceptive moment. And yeah, for yeah. Agnes, uh, you know, yeah, this is fine. still a win. So the jailer says their time's up. I like how anytime somebody comes to visit someone at prison, we're never told how long they have. <laughs> right. It's just that the time's always up yeah. before the most important thing can be answered. <laughs> right. Well, that's... Uh, Look, that's being gotta a be jailer a TV is a pretty, trope. Well, being a oh, you're right. Being a jailer is a pretty boring job. Like that's pretty much the only entertainment they get is waiting for a tense moment in a conversation <laughs> and bringing it up. I'm hoping to see more of that in the next season of Orange Is the New Black. Uh, At any rate, they take on Reback through the bars, and he compliments Fat Thomas's taste in her engagement ring, which is apparently white gold and diamonds, mm-hmm. just like mine. I know. Uh, he compliments Fat Thomas's taste, which I'm like, shut up. I have a real Thomas and his taste is good. Don't you put this on Fat Thomas. Agnes explains that she was proposed to just last night. Wow. A lot's happened <laughs> yeah. in a day. All um, while someone was singing Danny Boy. Anyway, Monsieur Leclerc says that they should be happy and Agnes is like, uh, you never liked him before. And Monsieur Leclerc says, he's a good man. You deserve nothing less. Yeah, which is not quite the same as saying that, like, he's good enough for you. Like, you deserve nothing less doesn't mean you don't deserve more. True. But, Fair point. Well, look, although at he this point, could be dead by morning, so... Right. Uh, you know, person in jail and a stalker, like... Yeah, he's... His, his stalk is... No, he's stalk. really devalued himself really quickly. Right. Like, we went from being like, yeah, Agnes, go be with this guy, even though we don't really think they work, right. to being like... <laughs> We're not saying Fat Thomas, but we're not not saying Fat Thomas <laughs> yeah. at this point. Which, to be fair, is exactly what Leclerc just said. Yeah. Anyway, uh, we've become Monsieur Leclerc, is what we're saying. <laughs> Question, what if Valerie's a spy? Ooh. Did you ever think of that, police? <laughs> well, they... Well, I mean... it ain't all job to fake, is it? <laughs> oh, you know who I miss? Who? The artful... Uh, oh, the artful porter. The artful porter. I always want to call her the artful packer. Well... Like she's some sort of, you know, hyper-graceful member of the Green Bay football <laughs> squad. Anyway, we hope she comes back. We hope so. She was so fun. Maybe she was a spy. I doubt it. <laughs> this seems unlikely. She was, I don't know, be a better spy than Harry Selfridge or Big Bill Summertime. <laughs> For that matter. Can we start calling him Emmett Remus now? <laughs> Can we change it up at this point? I mean, Big Bill Summertime is a fun thing to say. It is a fun thing to say. Well, I don't know. He doesn't actually appear in this episode. All right. We can hold off deciding. Yeah. That's Cousins. A, that's a suspended sentence there. Do you have an opinion on what we should call <laughs> Big Bill Summertime? If so, we want to hear your story. Yeah. Ooh, this is like, you know, when like a popsicle lets you decide what the secret flavor is over the summer. <laughs> or what the new color of the M&M is. Ooh. 
Oh, you know what else, though? I wish that as they were taking Monsieur Leclerc away, that poking kid had been in there. <laughs> <laughs> like, as your punishment, you're going to be in here with this poking kid. Who's been sentenced to prison for repeated assault with a stick. <laughs> <laughs> oh, missed you, monsieur. <laughs> I hate you. <laughs> That's my favorite radio play of all time. <laughs> And the competition is fierce. (laughs) (laughs) A grove boards the elevator of awkwardness. Fortunately, Miss Martle is on there, so it immediately begins going up. Uh, Grove says that he feels he simply must raise a delicate issue, uh, which is this Florian thing. He says that there is a young man staying with her, and men have certain urges. Which Miss Martle is like... Like, bath-taking? Like, what are you talking about? I mean, whatever they are, you fucking urged me for 20 years. You don't have to actually tell me about it in this elevator. (laughs) I'm never going to be able to use the word urge again (laughs) in quite the same way. Well, we can live with that. Uh, Anyway, he just says that he is concerned for her reputation. He says that Florian gives her a look which only a man of similar weakness would recognize. Bullshit. Uh, What does that even mean? Okay, this is what he means. He is saying that Florian is uh, fucking Martle with his eyes. Right. And only Mr. Grove can know that look because only Mr. Grove has ever wanted to fuck Miss Martle. Right. And only Mr. Grove can bring it to her attention that somebody else might want to fuck her. Yeah. And by calling it a weakness, which is just not... It's still, you know, it's still the early Edwardian period. This is a man who's clearly uncomfortable with sexual issues. Well, yeah. Anyway, it's, uh, you know, it's it's a Grove at his groviest. Yeah. It's, it's no fun. It's terrible. Right. Uh, but anyway, Martel just says that that's ridiculous and that there is nothing inappropriate about their arrangement. Grove just says that he's sorry and gets off the elevator. Yeah. Uh, I only said it to make the elevator go. <laughs> right. She's like, oh, well, oh, that's quite all right then. Well, And, you know, he does this like he's the only person that ever heard of sex, period. Right. Like, you know everybody's doing it, right? He does not He's know like that. the Kenneth Starr of Mr. Selfridges. <laughs> Topical. <laughs> I, no, it's the 10th anniversary. Oh, all right, yeah. Uh, today or something. I don't know. That's true. I People just... were talking about the Clinton Lewinsky scandal today. Monica looks great, by the way. Yeah. She looks fantastic. Well done. Uh, yeah, I know, right? God, what a horrible life she must have had. Uh, that's, that's the impression I've gotten. Yeah. Thanks, puritanical standards. As embodied by Kenneth Starr. Yeah. Slash Mr. Grove. Exactly. And now we're back into the episode. <laughs> Here we go. In Mr. Grove's office, uh, Mr. Grove saw Agnes just as he was getting off the elevator waiting outside uh, to talk to him. So she explains Monsieur Leclerc's story and points out that Keebler is the obvious suspect. Mr. Grove says they mustn't jump to conclusions. And Agnes is on the verge of tears saying yeah. that Henri's life is at stake. And Mr. Grove assures her that if there's been any sort of, you know, uh, informing going on from the store, he'll take care of it. Yeah. Uh, I can't tell if he's just playing coy in this scene or if he is really that stupid that he forgot that Keebler was like, uh, hey, Brony. Spy. Well, no, I mean, he didn't forget um, as, and it comes out early. I mean, he's just, you know, and I would think this is something that he would be particularly attuned to as head of staffing is that you can't just make accusations just because you think that this is the person that would have done this, you know? Yeah, that's true. Fine. Sorry. Stupid due process. (laughs) At Selfridge House, Rose is on the phone with the Plunkett. Uh, Doesn't understand why Harry could not be at the Ritz. He always stays at the Ritz in Paris. And I'll tell you who I feel sorry for in this episode is the Plunkett. Oh, man. Because this is her entire day is people complaining to her because nobody knows where Harry is. Yeah. And saying things like, how could he not be there? As if, yeah, that would suck. She was like Edwardian tech support. (laughs) Yeah. 
Uh, so Rose hangs up and then gets an idea. She goes upstairs to Harry's room, takes a key from a picture frame where it is sort of concealed in the... The molding. The molding, yeah. Uh, and unlocks a drawer wherein she finds a list of German addresses. The self-same list of German addresses given to Harry by Big Bill Summertime. In his own handwriting. Who perhaps should have told Harry either bring this with you to Germany or burn it. Right. This This scene indicts so many aspects of the British government. Because first of all, clearly the police, not that great at searching for things. <laughs> this is exactly what they were trying to find. Uh, sir, this drawer's locked. Well, nothing we can do then. Um, yeah, and then Big Bill Summertime. And what good is this list of addresses doing him in this drawer? Uh, and why did he need a list of addresses anyway? Why does he keep his shit in that hall where <laughs> Rose has the key? Listen, I don't know. They've got a different relationship, but I never give you my like email passwords. That's true. But well, I guess I, you know some of them, but like. But what I'm guessing, what I guess is that there are other things in there, like you know, God knows, will and testament, or just this. Yeah. Is, this is like the in case of emergency drawer. Yeah. I would think. Fine. Sorry. In Delphine's office, uh, that's where Rose has gone. She shows Delphine the list because Delphine's been such a great friend lately. Right. Uh, Delphine says that the list is in Big Bill Summertime's handwriting. Right. And Rose wants to know who that is. Delphine then explains that he is an intelligence and then just bitchily says she assumed Harry would have confided in her, doing the exact opposite of the thing that the man she's trying to seduce told her not to do. <laughs> right. I'm not sure that all my double negatives lined up, but you yeah. get the idea. Like, I don't know what she... Like, how do you think... Like, these are Game of Thrones tactics. Right. In a not Game of Thrones world that you're using here, Delphine. Yeah, no, I just don't understand. And why the... Like, there's well, and like hostility towards Rose. Why do all of these women that do or want to sleep with Harry think they can break Rose's spirit? Yeah. Like... You know, if anybody's going to break Rose's spirit, it's going to be Rose. Yeah. Like, yeah, she no. knows him better than anybody else. Yeah. Well, she knows what he's going to do in general. And I think that's something that's fairly consistent uh, trait of her character is that she you can see why people would underestimate her. She has a steely core, but she very much has a steely. Oh, core. is this her hat game you wanted to talk about, though? I think so, yeah. yeah. It's the, that like, blue hat. Yeah, the blue hat. She's been wearing that in that same coat this whole season. I've been really annoyed. I loved it the first time I saw it, but I'm kind of like, ugh, like a third time? I don't know. I felt like I hadn't seen it for a bit, but it's, I don't pay as much attention been to present. this as you do. So. Uh, at any rate... Maybe it was just lit better. Rose demands to know from Delphine where Harry is. Delphine says he's in Germany, which... Did he tell her that? Well, no, she says that just because that's the list okay. of German addresses. She says, but she says she doesn't think that he's in danger. Rose scoffs and says he's, you know, a London merchant in Germany. Right. Of course he's in danger. Delphine says that she's sorry, but she honestly thought their relationship. And then Rose, in the dopest thing we've seen her do since this series started, yeah. just cuts her off, says this has nothing to do with my relationship. She then tells, Delphine that there's been an emergency and Henri Leclerc's been arrested and that she needs to tell this Big Bill summertime to find out where Harry is and then she just leaves. Yeah. No, it's awesome because Delphine is playing this whole like game where she's, you know, driving a wedge between the two of them and that's that's the whole thing that's going on in her mind is is her plan about to to get with harry and to push away rose and all this sort of thing and rose just cuts her off and says this that this is not about the game that you're playing i don't care yeah. about it well and what delphine also doesn't understand is that sop is a wedge between them yeah you know like when <laughs> yeah. when the shit hits the fan that's when the wedge extricates itself yeah so she yeah. needs to check herself before she wrecks herself yeah she does and yeah she it's, is giving no indication that she's going to do this yeah no, but she – and this this happens twice in this episode because she says, uh, you know, so you need to go and you need to find out where he is and then I want my husband back, uh, which I uh, – you know, Rose, Liam, Neeson, Selfridge. <laughs> Fantastic. Yeah. 
So Rose strides down the upstairs hall at Selfridges. She tells Grove in Harry's office that uh, she hasn't heard from Harry precisely, but uh, perhaps that is because with the war restrictions, it's hard for messages to get through, etc. And Grove says that it's very unlike him to be out of touch. And Rose is like, yeah, whatever. And she promises (laughs) Grove that she will, he will be the first to know if she hears from Harry. Grove says that there are a lot of wild rumors flying around, and Rose calmly says, all the more reason for us to keep our heads. And Grove is like, hmm, well, rah, 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 and uh, <laughs> walks out. And then Rose sits at Harry's desk and, uh, like, gathers herself. Yeah, again, like the boss she is, yeah, dude. Yeah. Man, she's for reals. She is. I'm digging this episode, Rose-wise. Yeah, for sure. At Loxley House, uh, Lord Loxley and May are sitting in their sitting room when Pimble announces Lord Edgerton, who is pissed off, yeah. and comes in carrying the shoddy boots that Loxley had commissioned, mm-hmm. and uh, saying basically that all of the things that they got from this manufacturer suck, and the story is spreading. Lord Loxley lamely says that he merely followed Selfridge's advice, and Lord Edgerton says that if it gets out... Lord Loxley will be left carrying the can and then he leaves. He also is like, you better fix this. Yeah. May, uh, gloats that this is a new low and he should be ashamed. Lord Loxley says that he can't be held to account for another man's mistakes. But May is well aware of what happened thanks to trusty old Pimble. Yeah. Uh, and her own, you know. Deductive skills, yeah. So she, you know, does the supervillain explaining thing and then starts to leave. But then Lord Loxley stops her and says she should have brought all of her concerns up before she endorsed him to Harry Selfridge and went on that spending spree at his store. Uh, so he's been keeping her spending so that she's implicated with him. That isn't stated explicitly, but that's right. clearly what's going right. on. Right. And he says that he may be landed gentry and she may be a tart from the stage, but they both look after number one. But he has the honesty to admit it, which is true. But like there's uh there's looking after number one and there's like destroying your countrymen. Right. There's destroying numbers two through thirty million. Yeah, there's an ex- being an accessory to destroying numbers two through thirty million. Yeah. Uh and then there's you know, doing this. <laughs> right. Right. I mean, because this is I mean, this is no joke. There will be like a ton of people get killed with shoddy boots like this because a ton of people will be out of action. This is a huge problem, trench foot. Because you're standing in mud all day. Mm-hmm. And if you can't keep your feet dry, they start to rot. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's that's just awful. So a tip from up here downstairs to you. <laughs> don't stay in the bathtub too long. <laughs> and by too long, I mean days on end. Yeah. <laughs> don't fight a war from there. <laughs> right. It's good advice. We're very... Li- Listen, if our coverage of Mr. Selfridge has taught us anything, it's don't take baths. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I do think in this, you know, the thought crossed my mind that surely this would be an occasion when the reduced status of women would play in May's favor in that it seemed to me that she still ought to be able to claim ignorance. But, you know... I'm, it's all right. She's in a tough spot. She's proved herself to be a pretty savvy operator in the past. Yeah. And she vouched for Loxley. And I think it's more about that. It's more about her knowing what he was and not doing anything about it. Right. Trying to remember how that went down and what the circumstances were when she vouched for him. She went to see Harry in his office and he was saying, you know, Loxley's approached me for some help with these things. Right. And she said, yeah, go for it. And he was like, are you sure? And she's like, yeah, totally. It's fine. Yeah. I can't remember why, though. I remember understanding why at the time. But, yeah. Oh, well. Doesn't matter at this point. Well, I mean, I think she knew that they needed money or something. Yeah. She had a good reason at the time. She had a good reason. Yeah. We're still Team May. We are, for sure. No doubt. She's down, but not out. Yeah. Uh, so in Crab's office, Crab is doing crab work. <laughs> whatever that might be. Accounts uh, mainly, I would think. <laughs> right. Uh, the Plunkett comes in and gives him an envelope. He is quite struck by the contents of it and dismisses the Plunkett. He heads downstairs and tracks down New Gordon in the tea emporium. Uh, he gives him the letter. It is a letter from Mr. Fletcher's family. 
Uh, as New Gordon read it, Crab closes the doors to the Tea Emporium, and uh, it appears that Dave has been killed. And that's either Laurel or Hardy. We're not sure which. It's, it's whichever one was sort of. It was the uh, you know the the the, short- the Hardy in yeah. the situation. Yeah, the shorter one. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, and so that was we- a lot less hard to figure out than we thought. Yeah, but that was well. It was from the previously on. Oh, that's true. they oh, kind of lingered more on him. What, so I think yeah, yeah. You're anyway. right. You're right. Anyway, so New Gordon asks about the other boys from the loading bay, and Crab says no word, and we must assume that they are safe. Yeah, safe-ish. Yeah, like not safe, safe, safe adjacent. <laughs> right. Like it's war. Yeah. Even you know that, Mister Crab. Right. I mean, none of you are safe, really. What with the Zeppelin raids? And then we will pelt them with the sour braten. And then we will eat it off the corpses of their widows. Damn, Germany, that's harsh. Uh, they're cruel people. <laughs> anyway. I wonder how many listeners we have in Germany. <laughs> I assume less by the minute. Oh, right. <laughs> Possibly much like Italy. <laughs> Boy, you really do adopt the biases of the culture you immerse yourself in. <laughs> There's some truth to that, it would seem. Anyway, Crab says that uh, other than Mr. Grove, he hasn't told anybody else. And that normally in these circumstances, Harry would write a letter of condolence to the family. And New Gordon jumps in and says that he will do it. Uh, Dave was his friend. And nobody knows when uh, Pa will be back. And this can't wait. What about the tea room? <laughs> uh, Who's going to serve the tea? Uh, wartime cutbacks, they'll say. That tea room's going to be turning into the palm court any day now. <laughs> uh, Conehead and some elevator girl are sitting in a back room reading an article that Mustache has written about Miss K, mm-hmm. who is clearly Kitty because he's a moron. Well, yeah. Well, I know he wanted her. Anyway, look, I don't have time for these games, all right? Yeah, but it was a standard game of the era. At any rate, Kitty comes in and Conehead asks if it's really her in Mr. Edwards' column. Kitty pretends to have no idea, reads it, laughs, gets her shit together, tells them to go back to work whilst she heads off to read the article in private. Yes. And I assume gloat solo. (laughs) Uh, Keebler is showing some dresses to Mr. Grove and describing them as timeless, with which I do not agree at all. They're like some 1890s bullshit. Yeah. These are the least attractive dresses possibly that we have seen on this show. Or any show? I. Well, I don't know. I'm not a fan of. We've seen some ugly ass dresses. We've seen some ugly ass dresses. We've seen some shit. Right. Well, it depends on if you count Regency because everything in Regency sucked to me. Oh, yeah. So. It made you look terrible. Yeah. I mean, they were basically burkas. In any case. Grove says that the dresses are impressive because he doesn't know and uh, that Leclerc would appreciate it uh, and goes on kind of, you know, with a light touch interrogating Keebler about whether he was the one that ratted him out or whatever uh, and says that, you know, the consequences could be very grave. I'd hate to think that a false accusation, etc., etc. And Keebler just says that he has utter trust in the authorities. Good move, Grove. I can't forgive you everything. Yeah. I'll forgive you that one thing I was kind of mad at you about. <laughs> New Gordon is writing the letter to Hardy's family. Uh, but he crosses something out. Fake Doris comes out and teasingly asks if he's writing love letters to his sweetheart. Yeah, and now that uh, a cousin pointed out on Twitter that she is from Wales, and now that I've been told that every when she talks i'm like oh yeah i can hear it now like obviously yeah so. she's clearly uh, a member of torchwood <laughs> so fake doris asks what's wrong and new gordon explains uh that you know hardy has died right. fake doris starts crying like really quick in a very weird edit like, yeah it's, not- it's basically they skip to her like in the middle of her first like sob yeah and didn't get the little like realization crossing her face or anything yeah so, so it's it- like i'm like are you faking this fake right. doris how much you- is fake about you are you are you drunk like, she might what- be well she's welsh am i right 
I know nothing about the Welsh. Uh, so they really like the letter L. Uh, New Gordon says that uh, Hardy had been a real friend during the trouble with the unions, which – Oh no, the union problems with the union, but yeah, it was not it, a problem with the union. It was a problem with you. Right. Like you just picked they a fight had, with yeah, a guy. they invited the union <laughs> to see what was what. Uh at any rate, yeah. you know, they bonded or whatever, and then uh New Gordon explains that he has to write this letter. Uh, Kitty is standing at their counter gossiping with Conehead about all the tales she hears from Mustache and spies and so forth and whatnot. Uh Agnes is glaring at them. Uh, kind of thinking that they're talking about LeClaire when they aren't really. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, and also, he doesn't tell Kitty shit. She's just trying to sound cool in front of Conehead. Right. Oh, I know. But in any case, sh- they see her glaring at them, so their conversation stops. Nags is like, oh, don't stop on my account. Martle attempts to calm things down, saying she's sure they meant no harm. Uh, but Agnes says, of course she did. She always does. Which isn't that far off. It's true. Uh, and then she heads over to their counter and angrily starts yelling, or not quite yelling at Kitty, saying that she wouldn't be surprised if Kitty was the one that had ratted out LeClaire. Uh, Martel tries and fails to interrupt her, you know, and that, you know, she, the, Monsieur LeClaire, like, made this store and you know, she has him to thank for her job and she doesn't deserve him and none of you deserve him. And, heads and that's after the conversation she had with him this morning. Yeah. Uh, like, I get it, but also stalker. Like, right. uh, like she's got some points. Yeah, well, and I also had to think, though, that to an extent, her thought process has just, she's processed what LeClaire told her as being not spy. Like, it yeah, has okay. really sunk in. Yeah, the, that's true. You know. I mean, you know, they made say anything in the 1980s. So it's not like stalking women is out of vogue. <laughs> right. Uh, I mean, I, I can't think of a more contemporary example because but, we never go to the movies. Right. But they exist. Oh, we yeah, totally. Confident. Yeah, for sure. Uh, cousins, do you know of a movie where a stalker is presented as romantic? If so, we want to hear your story with a link to the IMDb page. <laughs> in some random storeroom, Agnes is filling in Fat Thomas, uh, continuing not to do his job. <laughs> and Fat Thomas says, you know... He's on her side that loving a girl isn't a crime. Again, you know, no, loving a girl isn't. Uh, stalking her, hiring a detective may not be a crime. At the time. But surely at least frowned upon. <laughs> right. Uh, anyway, she says that they need to do something to prove that Keebler accused him and Fat Thomas agrees. At Loxley House, Lord Loxley is on the phone to Mustache explaining how it was Mr. Selfridge that told him what supplier to use. And there's your story. Uh, and that's that. And May watches him through the door, troubled. Mustache is at Loxley House looking over the shoddy boots as Loxley continues to blame Selfridge. Mustache is very surprised that Harry would recommend something so shoddy. And then Loxley says he can't get a hold of Selfridge, but the story is spreading. Mustache says that he's going to need corroboration on the story before he runs it, and Harry has more lawyers than lovers. Uh, he has no more lovers. <laughs> right. That we know. You know, maybe he's banging someone in Berlin. I have no idea. Yeah. But Loxley says that one way For or the other... England. <laughs> Loxley says that one way or another, the story is going to come out and sort of implies, you know, either you can break this or some other chump can. Right. A Keebler uh, is doing some dressing of some mannequin and overhears Fat Thomas and Igor having an argument in the palm court, uh, something about Igor being a coward or something like that, and Igor stalks out. Fat Thomas uh, follows after him a little bit and sees that Keebler heard it uh, and apologizes and says that Igor is an idiot and he calls himself a pacifist now. He's like, don't be fooled by my name. I mean, English is the next man. And moreover, he says, I'm glad somebody shopped that frog. And Keebler's like, oh, really? You know, uh, Miss Towler seems to worship him. And Fat Thomas, you know, rather adroitly uses that to be like, oh, yeah, that's just another reason that I hate him, you know. <laughs> uh, and he says that he's glad he sees eye to eye with Keebler. He thought he was going mad. And boy, he would love to shake the hand of the man who turned in Monsieur Leclerc. And Keebler, like an idiot... 
then says that it was him. And he was only thinking of the good of the store and the fate of the nation and, and his tree trunk filled with fudge. Yes. I can, <laughs> I could never let the Fritz get their hands on that. <laughs> also, again, calling the French frogs, like, that is a slur. Uh, that a relative of mine uses to this day. <laughs> and I'm like, I don't get it. Like, why? I have met many French people and they aren't ex- exceptionally frog-like. <laughs> well? I don't see them jumping from lily pad to <laughs> lily pad, snatching flies out of the air with their graceful tongues. That's right. They're trying to blend in. <laughs> <laughs> don't use slurs. <laughs> Especially outdated ones. Yeah. Like, stay current if you're going to be a bigot. Yeah. Also, when you rat people out for being a spy, watch out for getting entrapped. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Although I will say, Fat Thomas and Igor sold their argument pretty well. Oh, listen. Like, that was, that was solid. I have a new respect for Fat Thomas after that perform. Not just, you know, the planning. Yeah. The execution. Yeah. I mean, he delivered. Yeah. I mean, I think Keebler was an idiot, but... I could easily see them that scene having gone down where he looked like a complete idiot. Yes. And this was at least semi-plausible. Totally. Mustache uh, walks into Selfridges uh, looking also troubled. Lots of people looking troubled this episode. <laughs> Indeed. He comes up to Kitty and Kitty playfully discusses today's column. And Mustache asks about Harry. And Kitty says nobody knows where he is. It's as if he's vanished into thin air. She's yeah. very, very dramatic. She is. She's enjoying this. She's very much so enjoying it. How, I'll tell you what. I mean, nobody's asked her, but Kitty would make the worst spy ever. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not supposed to tell you, but I'm a spy. <laughs> well, I guess it's all right. <laughs> <laughs> Mustache is sitting in his office when his boss walks in. Uh, I have named him Gringot because he looks like a goblin. I'm surprised you chose a nickname that is derived from the Harry Potter series. Well, uh, it seemed more accessible. None of the goblins in the Lord of the Rings generally don't have individual names that uh, much. Ah, I see. Also, I would put it to you that Mr. Crab looks a lot like the goblin who runs Gringotts that Warwick Davis played. Oh, all right. In demeanor. That's fair. Anyway. It's just mainly his short, bald head and his ears. Listen, I fully support this. I just like saying Warwick Davis. (laughs) Well, then go crazy. We could could name Gringot Warwick Davis. That would be very confusing. Look, you've already (laughs) spoken. Let's move on. He's heard that Mustache has something on Selfridge. And Mustache says he does, but they can't run it until they talk to him. Uh, But Gringot says that they need a scoop. Uh, both of them, the paper and Mustache personally. Uh, Mustache tries to sell him on some story he has about Lady Diana Manners. Spoiler, she has none. <laughs> yeah, uh, she was a real person. She was part of uh, an intellectual coterie, uh, but which was basically sort of considered uh, the forerunner to the, the bright young things of the interwar generation, which uh, never really got any war because, which never really got any war, the ironic thing is that I'm drinking and you're not. <laughs> Which never really got anywhere because they were all killed in the war. Yes. There we go. Did they have a name? They did, and I forgot to write it down. Was it Manners Men? <laughs> no, but it should have been. Diana Stoltz? Yeah. No, it was like the... It was a the something, and I can't remember what it was. The Plunkets. <laughs> Ooh, I like that as a band name. Lady Diana Manners and the Plunkets. Ah, I like that too. All right, there we go. Gringot, not impressed with the Lady Diana yeah, Manners story. Yeah, that's style section at best. Yeah. Unless one of them murdered someone. Yeah, tittle-tattle, he says. The mustache says that they can't run the story on Harry until he gets right of reply, and they don't know where he is. However, Gringot does know where Harry is. He boarded a train last night for Berlin. And Gringot knows this because Big Bill Summertime is the worst at his job. Yes. This is at least two people that saw him leaving England. Right. On two different sets of, you know, modes of transportation. (sighs) Although I guess the porter would have had to have been in France. 
Yeah. But still. That's uh, pretty pathetic. And moreover, moreover, this is exactly the sort of story that somebody from the government should be coming into this newspaper and saying, you can't print this story. That's Or we'll kill you. Right. That's the whole point of your military censorship. Why even have it if you're going to have your spies unmasked? Anyway. Well, to be fair, it wasn't like they put a very good mask on this one to begin with. <laughs> Maybe the whole point was to drum up a scandal. I, we haven't considered that angle. We haven't considered that angle. Uh, I don't know. Maybe... This maybe. show isn't usually that twisty. It usually isn't. What if Big Bill Summertime has been a German agent all this time? He does have very large, blunt features. The only person who's vouched for him is Delphine. Yeah, and she's not worth the paper she's printed on. <laughs> right. Anyway, Gringot says that this story is going in the evening edition, and if Mustache doesn't write it, he will find someone who will. New Gordon is also having difficulty writing. He yeah. crumples up another piece of paper. Aren't they rationing paper yet? It made me contemplate the tens of thousands of pieces of paper that PAs have crumpled on various television and movie sets over the years for scenes where somebody's having trouble writing something. Yeah, where's the Lorax when you need him? <laughs> Fake Doris says maybe he should wait for Harry to get back and then says maybe he should try to be himself in the letter and not his dad. New Gordon says he wishes he hadn't offered to write the letter. Fake Doris says, then don't. I'm not good at a Welsh accent. No. Actually, if I try to do an Irish accent, it will come out as a Welsh accent. Well, we'll see how things go. My entire college class was afflicted with this problem. (laughs) Or perhaps it was just our speech teacher. That and scabies. That, look, listen, (laughs) that was not me. I know it wasn't you. That was some other people. It was. Yeah. I didn't spend enough time in the dance studio to get it. (laughs) A mustache and kitty are standing at some, like, Edwardian food truck um, offering (laughs) saveloys and hot bovril. (laughs) Gross. Yeah. Um, Come on, get with it. Do some fusion. (laughs) Right. Can you make me a bovril taco? Yeah, maybe a little bovril curry. Ooh, what's a sav- what's a saveloy? It's a type of sausage. Ah, yeah. that explains a lot about the musical Oliver. <laughs> Boom! Another Oliver reference. That's well done. We get paid by the Oliver reference, <laughs> incidentally. In case anybody was wondering, the estate of Lionel Bart <laughs> cuts us a check for a nickel. He had quite the bizarre will. We can't help it. He might still be alive. <laughs> That's what makes it so bizarre. <laughs> so I'm going to get Paul McCartney on the phone. He'll be able to clear this up. <laughs> A mustache asks Kitty if she trusts him. Uh, Kitty, taken aback a bit, says that she trusts him as much as any so-called gentleman, which is a good answer. Nobody does a backhanded compliment quite like Kitty Hawkins. <laughs> Indeed, that's true. He then asks her if she believes that one should tell the truth. And she asks if something's wrong, and he says that he rather fears it is. Well, if we know anything about Mustache, he can definitely be counted upon to make the wrong decision. Yes. Keebler arrives at Harry's office as Fat Thomas is leaving. Mr. Grove shows him in. Rose is at Harry's desk. And Mr. Grove tells Keebler that Fat Thomas ratted him out, much as Keebler fake ratted Monsieur Leclerc out. Keebler sticks with his story that Leclerc was suspicious and nobody else was doing anything. Rose is really pissed off, says that what he did was wrong. Keebler asks if he's been fired. Uh, Mr. Grove says he would like to fire him, but it's up to Mr. Selfridge ultimately. But right then, he must come to the police and retract his statement. Then, Crab bursts in carrying the newspaper, saying there's dreadful news. Yeah, and Crab is, I mean, understandably, but he is just like, he is stricken to his core. Yeah. He's, uh... Yeah. Poor guy. Crab struck. <laughs> the musical. Don't even tempt me. <laughs> uh, outside, the newsboy is shouting, Procurement scandal! Read all about it! Uh, Kitty takes a paper, interested in reading all about it, and comes to an abrupt stop upon reading the contents, then hurries over to a bus, which naturally pulls away as she gets on it. Uh, listen... People on this show are really savvy about the bus schedule. Oh, clearly. 
In Harry's office, Mr. Groves says it's ridiculous. They know full well that all those leather suppliers are dubious at best. Mr. Crabb reads Loxley being quoted as shocked and surprised. Rose is surprised to hear that he said that. And Mr. Crabb adds that there are rumors that Mr. Selfridge is in Germany. Crabb says that they must issue a denial and demand a retraction. Rose shouts, no, they must do nothing. Yeah, and, and starts to like, you know, be on the edge of losing it a little bit in this moment. Mr. Crabb asks if she thinks that the rumors are true, but Ru- but Rose says that a denial would only add fuel to the fire. Crabb then understandably asks if she's all right. Rose insists that she's fine, settles down a little bit and says that a dignified silence is the wisest course under the circumstances. And Crabb and Grove head out, uh, fearful that she may, you know, implode in some sort of female hysteria <laughs> at any moment. Right. Uh, I also like when Crab asks if he's all, she's all right. He asks, can I open a window? Can I fetch you some water? I could call him Mrs. Plunkett, and she interrupts him then, but he just gives the impression that he could have just kept going on and on. Oh, yeah, like, totally. Like, I summon a doctor? I hear there's a bloke who's invented a vibrator. <laughs> Would you like some whiskey? A biscuit? <laughs> Look, he could go on. He could go we on. We don't we have can. to. We don't have... Yeah, we don't know what things he has at his disposal. Yeah, we don't We don't have a, a treasury what of about Victorian this pen? wisdom. Would you like to stare at this bizarre portrait of yourself? <laughs> <laughs> Would that soothe you? <laughs> a new Gordon and fake Doris walk along a street... Rather cheerfully, I must say. Yeah, considering their friend just died. But they're what, like fifteen? Yeah, that's they true. They can't fucking. They can't keep a thought in their head long enough to be sad. Yeah. Plus, you know, they're like on a date or whatever. Are they? Because she was like teasing about writing to a sweetheart. She called. She friend zoned him last episode. She did, but I. Don't... This is some potential girlfriend shit she's pulling right now. Yeah, it is. He has not been told where Doris is taking them, uh, and she says that they're there, and points to a door, and says that that is where Dave's family lived. Uh, he, you know, gets nervous, uh, gets a little stage fright, and she says that just to tell them what he told her and just uh, speak from the heart, that's all that matters, and he nods, knocks on the door, introduces himself, and is asked in. And that's that's it. It's like, and he was never heard from again. <laughs> Poor new Gordon. <laughs> he was so promising. Miss <laughs> Martle is at Martle House, and she walks into Florian's room where he's practicing the violin, as ever. Mm-hmm. He sees her and says it down, and she compliments his playing. She says that uh, there's been a suggestion that she needs to address, and he asks if he needs to pay rent. She says, no, no, no. He says she can say anything to him. She very uh, Britishly says that it has been suggested that he may have developed a mild ardor for her, <laughs> which is how I'm going to describe everything from it. Oh, I have a real mild ardor for this salsa. <laughs> Uh, but he says that he has fallen in love with her, uh, and he asks if it is surprising. She is very shocked because of their age difference and cultural differences, but he don't care. Mm-hmm. He is Belgian. He is virile. <laughs> he kisses her, and she responds for a second, then pulls away and walks off very discombobulated. Yeah. I, I like the scene, and I have to say, too, that Marta looks good for her age. Oh, Marta looks dope. Yeah. Well, she never had a kid. Well, right. But, and uh, she's been working in a you know department store yeah. with access to all kinds of facial creams. This is very true. But yeah, and I just enjoy her uh, acting so much. Mm-hmm. In Mustache's office, Kitty storms in and asks if he believes the article that he wrote. He's very awkward through this whole thing. It's like, uh, let me close the door here. <laughs> it's pretty great. Yeah. Well, I'm like, uh, I love this scene. Yeah. It's great. Uh, he says that the evidence is strong. And she is She says, what about character? What about loyalty? For such a clever man, you could be a real fool, Frank, whatever the fuck your last name is. <laughs> Frank Miller? Edwards. Edwards. Wow. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Comprehension fail. Listen, I really like doing a kitty impression. No, you're doing quite well. Thank you. She's yeah. much easier to pin down than Agnes. <laughs> yeah. Rose is sitting in her living room reading the paper. Did that happen? Yeah, it's what happens is in the shot, it just pans across Rose sitting in the living room reading the paper, and then, you know, darkness, and it cuts to uh, 
the oh, same okay. pan of May lying in her bed. Bad move eyeliner. Yeah, it was a weird choice. Anyway, so May is lying in her bed staring into space and Pimble comes in. May asks if Pimble is happy with her. Pimble says, of course. May points out that they've come a long way since the gaiety. Pimble agrees, because, of course. Right. Uh, <laughs> May says that she had a good voice. Pimble says it was like an angel. May says she could dance, too. Pimble says, after a fashion, I like Pimble. Yeah. May says people must be jealous of her, uh, that, you know, the girls must talk about her while they put on their makeup and practice their scales. I'd also argue that May is enjoying this. Yeah. May is really enjoying this. Yeah. Uh, anyway, Pimble says that May married well. May says that Pimble never used to lie to her when she was her dresser. <gasps> you guys. Yeah. Thank you, eyeliner. This is so great. Yeah. It's so great because this is another detail where if it was Downton Abbey, Julian Fellows would have like laid out the entire history of this relationship in episode one. Right. And there would be no surprise. Yeah. And this yeah. was a delightful surprise it to learn. It was a delightful surprise. No, start the moment where Pimple says after a fashion, like from then on, we're like, oh yeah, Pimple. This yeah. is great. We're, we're now officially team Pimple. <laughs> yeah. May says that she has to leave and that Pimble can stay if she wants. It's like, why would Pimble stay? She hates Loxley more than you two. Yeah. You know my rooms suck, don't you? Pimble says no and that she'll get May's clothes. May wipes away her tears and then says, oh, Jane, we reveal Pimble's first name. Yes. We only take what we came with. No more, no less. Pimble nods and heads off. Uh, this yeah. is a crazy development I did not see coming. Yeah. I have yeah. to say. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty boss. Jane Pimble of the homely Pimbles. <laughs> oh, Pimble. <laughs> Grove and Keebler arrive at the police station. Uh, Keebler says that he doesn't know if he can face Mr. Leclerc. If he's innocent. If he's innocent. Even his jauntiest tie will not protect him. Uh, but Grove says that he's going to go in there anyway. And that if he does, Grove will make sure that Harry knows that Keebler did his best to repair the damage. So Keebler's like, fair enough. We see May and Pimble walking down the stairs at Loxley House with their suitcases. They hear the phone ring and freeze for a moment as Lord Loxley answers. And then they keep going. Yes. I also like Pimble's hat. Not because it's, like, good looking or anything. I just like how, like, crappy it is. (laughs) (laughs) That, That hat could definitely be used in a production of Oliver. Phenomenal. Cha-ching. Who will buy <laughs> my crappy bonnet? You know what? I'll give it to you. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you married me. I did. At Selfridge House, Fraser shows in Lady May, who apologizes to Rose for arriving unannounced, but says that she believes Lord Loxley means to cause trouble for them. Rose says that I, she thinks she'll find that he already has and throws the paper at May's feet. Uh, May, maybe you should have read the paper. Yeah, maybe you should have. Like, didn't everybody read the paper? Uh, she was busy staring into space. I mean, what I'll say for May, like, this is all true, but I think, you know, May has spent the past 12 hours, like, gathering herself together to abandon you know, her life for the mm-hmm. past however many years, which, you know, I imagine would All consume right. you a bit. Fine. I know. But still, she really could have done a little practical thinking as well. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Rose says that May knew about this and she vouched for Lord Loxley and they trusted her. Uh, May says that she made a terrible mistake and she's going to do everything in her power to put it right. But Rose says, no, Beatrice sees what you did. <laughs> And I say that because Beatrice's portrait is over her shoulder in this scene. Uh, also, Beatrice sees all. Well, I right. don't know why you felt like you had to explain. <laughs> she is our dark lord. Yeah, what? No, you're right. Uh, Rose says that she wants nothing more to do with Lady May, that she should leave and never contact her or her husband again. May says that she understands and leaves. And Rose sits down and begins to cry. <sighs> it makes me so sad. Yeah. I mean, I don't blame Rose right. in her current state. But I also, look, Lady May is a class act. Yeah, no, that's exactly... Emphasis on the act. Well, right. But, you know. But she, but you know, by doing it this way, you know, she gives herself more of a chance for to things to work back yeah, out later. That's true. Rather than pushing right now and there was no, no way that Rose no was going to listen. 
Agnes walks up to Fat Thomas at the end of the workday, says Igor filled her in because he didn't have anything better to do. <laughs> That's right. Fat Thomas says he felt sorry for Keebler, uh, even though, you know, they're doing the right thing or whatever. Yeah, like, don't, don't feel sorry for him. Yeah, I don't He's know what a that prat. Was about. Yeah. He asks if they're releasing Monsieur Leclerc. Uh, she says yes, and Fat Thomas is very glad. He hopes he finds his girl and that even the French deserve happiness. <laughs> <laughs> no, they don't. Anyway. They're frogs. Agnes says not every man would have let her go uh, down to the station. And he says that he trusts her. She says she loves him. They kiss. We vomit. Let's move on. <laughs> right. Well, let's move on, but let's also say, you know who else deserves happiness? Valerie and her current partner. Oh, don't be ridiculous, Tom. <laughs> Non-recurring characters aren't people. <laughs> Grove walks out of the police station, looking somewhat troubled, and we see May and Pimple walking down some street. Pimple says that it's not too late. They could still turn around, but May says that they have made their beds and they will lie in them. Mr. Grove arrives at Selfridge House and says there's been a complication. Uh, they accepted Keebler's retraction of his accusations. Although it turned out really to be a moot point because an elf can't give testimony under British common law. Did anyone throw a sock at him? <laughs> uh, so they ran some routine checks while Monsieur Leclerc was in custody. And it turns out that he is wanted for theft in New York and is a fugitive from the law. Yes. And we then see Monsieur Leclerc in his tiny jail cell, which uh, he pretty much deserves to be in. Yeah. He's sitting there clearly thinking, I knew I shouldn't have stolen that baguette. <laughs> yeah. But this is the second time because this scene ends with him saying, uh, it seems like Leclerc is wanted for theft in New York. Left without answering the charges, he's a fugitive from justice. Monsieur Leclerc is a wanted man. Like, the scene didn't need a tagline. But uh, Look, they thought maybe this was going to be like a movie <laughs> and like they didn't know. Fair enough. Fat Thomas and Agnes arrive at Martel's house in a cheerful mood. But Martel comes up, and she has a telegram for Agnes. The camera pans down to show George's dumb photo, and it's looking like he's not going to get a chance for a better one. I don't think he's dead, though. I don't know. I, You know, Agnes breaks down crying. She she hasn't read the telegram yet. I mean, maybe maybe what we get after that scene cuts off is Martel saying, Oh, no, 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 I'm so sorry. It's from George. He's doing quite well. No, but I think just watching the next on, mm. like... It's, you know, it's all Agnes talking about Monsieur Leclerc with Thomas. Well. And it's like, why would she be talking about that if she was mourning her dead brother? That's a fair point. Anyway, that's yeah, my I mean, two cents on that. Obviously, we'll find out soon enough. Right. So Monsieur Leclerc falling from grace, mm-hmm. still very attractive. Very much That so. hasn't changed. Not at all. Perhaps more attractive. Yeah. But less a life partner than we right. might have once thought. True. Uh, but a lot of people uh, had their stock go up this episode. Rose, I mean, not that we didn't like her, but she had a very good episode. Mm-hmm. Pimble. Mm, yeah. Fat Thomas, even. Oh, that's true. You know, yeah. uh, it was it was a pretty interesting episode. And, you know, they're the episode without Harry in it. So that's... That's true. An interesting... No, and I think it, it functioned very well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think it's helpful that a big chunk of the episode was devoted to people freaking out about where he was. Well, right. But it didn't feel, you know, it didn't feel uh, like we'd we'd missed anything. Right. So. (laughs) Right. I'm sure wherever he was, Jerry Piven was nailing it. I'm sure he was. I mean, it's not like they could sustain it for another week, but they're not going to. Yeah. This one episode, it worked quite well. Absolutely. All right. So that has been Mr. Selfridge Series 2, Episode 7. And until next time, up up yours yours downstairs, downstairs, luncheon out.